like thanks for coming on the Monday show and I really I really appreciate you taking the time to to jump on as a guest, Bally. I'm really excited. No, that's good. Well, what I wanted to start with, I wanted to start with basically give us like a rundown of like where where it all started. I I read something online that you started working at like a at your dad or family's factory from pretty humble beginnings. So um yeah, um well my father came over well, came over to the UK when he was 14, started working in a foundry. Um, then in those days, it didn't really matter about your age. It just mattered about what it said on your passport. Okay. So, you know, he was 18 on his passport and he ended up working in a foundry. And he worked with his granddad, um, I mean, sorry, his uncle and his brother. So they worked in the foundry. And, you know, he was this guy who always wanted to support his family and do well, he had an ambition. So um, I think that's where I get my, my um, drive from. Mm. So he always had, this, you know, yearning to support his family and so on. So they came, my, my father came from um, a farming family. Yeah. And my, my granddad um, passed away when he was young. And my, his uncle, basically took over the family and basically supported the family. He was in the army. My dad was in the army too. Yeah. Wow. And they all came over. Then in, in, in those days, it was all about the UK wanted um, immigration. They wanted, because of the, the support the Indian people had given the, you know, Europe in the first and second world war, they were giving out vouchers. They were called vouchers. They weren't called passports in those oh, days. Shit. So it was a voucher they used to give. And this voucher used to basically take you to the UK. Um, so that's the reason why my parents ended up coming to the UK. So my, my father started in a foundry. And, you know, my father worked really hard, man. You know, yeah. mother worked really hard. So they had this ambition. And... That's how he started his whole clothing business. So he started, you know, looking for ways of getting into this market. Mm. So my mother bought a sewing machine. And so they used to make jumpers from home. So the only person who used to manufacture, my dad used to cut the cloth, the, the cloth, lay the cloth, cut the cloth. And then my mother used to basically sew the jumpers. That's crazy. So my dad had this. I know I get because I, I, I listen to my stories when I get interviewed by people mm. and I, I see the similarities from me and my father because my I, I always had this drive as well. I had this yearning to do something bigger and better. Yeah. It was just the way I was. I wasn't this kid that just wanted to go to school and get have a, a degree and get a normal job. That wasn't just that wasn't me. Mm. I overthought, you know, I was that hyperactive kid that used to always get in trouble for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Anyway, going back to my father. So they started making these jumpers and selling them to local shops. My father thought, no, I can do better. So he got in his car and he drove to London. And there's a place called Commercial Road. I mean, if you're from the UK and you know about clothing, it was like the industry area back in the day yeah. in London. Now Commercial Road is very, very um, glamorous and, you know, it's all got new apartments yeah. on and so on. But those days, it was like the old industry area. So he was knocking on doors saying, look, I make these jumpers. Are you interested? Ended up meeting some Sikhs that are in the clothing business. And they basically springboarded his business career off. So we just made it clothing exclusively for this one wholesaler in 
in London. And obviously it was my mum making this. That's crazy. So wow. then they, so she started making four or 500 jumpers. And I can remember when Jeez. I was a kid, we used to be in the garage, right? And we used, I used to be turning these jumpers inside out. You know, this is like a long time ago. This is when Rambo started first blood. So I can remember turning these Rambo jumpers inside out. And, you know, when George Michael, you know, uh, had wham yeah. right <laughs> so this is wow. like i'm sure this is prehistoric for you guys so yeah, i can remember being a kid turning, you know when 101 dalmatians came out i remember the spotted jumpers so anyway i remember being this i think i was maybe six seven years old in the back standing on this table turning these jumpers inside out mm. and my sisters uh, i've got four sisters so it was used to be like this production line and my sisters used to pack the jumpers put them in bags and so on so that's how my father started his his clothing, you know, career. Mm. And from that shed, basically in the back garden, he opened up his own factory. He had 50 employees. So we had a full-on production from that little shed. Wow. So my mother and father, you know, owe the, I owe my, my life and my, you know, my career to my mother and father because they really did the hard work. When people say they're struggling and they're self-made, yep, you're not self-made. You're made by your parents yeah. and they're made by their parents and the sacrifices they made. So, you know, I can say I'm self-made millionaire, blah, blah. No, it doesn't work that way. Mm. You know, when I landed on my backside, yep. I always, I could always go home. I had a warm bed, had food, I had my parents support. And if you don't have that, mm. yep. How are you going to survive? And I had that until I was in my late thirties, you know, 35, 40, you know, I'd made money, lost money, but I could always come home and that home and that support was by my parents. Yeah. People kind of forget that, you know, when they, they, they talk, I did this, I did this. Some of the biggest names in this world, entrepreneurs were living at home until they were 40 years. Richard Branson, mm. a prime example. Yep. He was at home when he was 40. Yeah. Wow. He always lived with his parents. Yeah. So I, I never forget my upbringing on my parents and what they did for me. So from that, my, mm. so I spent a lot of time with my father traveling, you know, working and so on. So I, I got his mindset and I can remember when we started the clothing business going back. Yep. When I was like 10, 11, we used to go, okay. We used to manufacture during the weekdays. And then my dad used to get in the van and go do markets, flea markets, right. On the weekends to make more money. So I remember we used to sleep in the van. So it wasn't like, oh yeah, let's get a hotel, let's get an Airbnb. No, mm. it was in the back of the van, mattress. And we used to sleep in the back of the van and do the weekend and come back. So anyway, wow. so we started Eastern Germany. It flourished. We were huge. We were one of the biggest wholesalers in the market in Eastern Germany. We used to sell a truck, a couple of trucks a day. Mm. We just had loads and loads coming out. I remember back in the day, and this is my father's, effort, not mine. I can't take the credit for this. We used to buy a house a week. Every week we used to buy a house. What? I remember in those days, we used to go, yeah, we used to come back with black bags. You know, you have the old school black leather briefcases. Mm. It used to be yeah. fun. We used to have the, we used to have a bin liner. Yep. Come back. And I remember getting on to, to the train from my hometown, Leicester, uh, to London to go change the Deutschmarks into pounds. So I remember this, I used to be this little Indian kid. On, and this is, my dad used to trust me. I was 17, 18 then, 
right? I used to get on the train, 17 year old, you know, get on the train to London, get on the tube, go to Thomas Cook. That's where our travel exchange was. And you just have like a quarter of a million pounds. What? Yep, like a dollar in my backpack and then go back to Leicester. And then we used to do the same thing again. Wow. Buy the suppliers and we used to buy a house a week. So my father <laughs> made this huge, huge, you know, empire yep, of property, this property portfolio. And I remember Eastern Germany crashed, right? Um, so the business started collapsing. My father gave people his word. The supply chain was there. My father said, if I owe you money, I'll pay. A lot of corporate business, a lot of business these days, they go bankrupt and there's no liability to the directors and that's it, see you later, bye-bye. Mm. My father wasn't that guy, he was very old school. So what he started doing, he started selling all his properties. So he sold all his properties to pay off his debts, right? To people he owed money to. And I remember this because you know what? It's something I kind of take myself I don't believe in bankrupting businesses. Mm. If I have a responsibility, if I've done business with somebody, I owe it to them to keep my word. So my father sold his businesses and his properties and paid back everybody and started again from scratch. He never gave up. And then he started slowly, slowly building back up his business. And, you know, we, we did okay. Family was, um, you know, stable. And then I came into the business. I was a lot older by that time. I was well, not a lot older. I was like 18, 19. And that's when my um, my career started in entertainment. Mm. So 16, 17, you know, I like music, you know. So I started dabbling and I, I was a kickboxer then. I started training when I was 14 um, and I started kickboxing. So when I was 17, 18, a couple of kids um, in my circle said, Bali, we're doing the A-level results exam after party do you mind coming and standing with the security and making sure we don't get bullied <laughs> so i was like okay cool i'll get involved um so that's what i did it was the a-level results i was only 17 i shouldn't even been in a club really yeah. uh, so but you know with the beard and everything you know you always look a bit older so i got away with it so i enjoyed myself you know doing the door doing this security you know handling the tickets I saw the potential and then I carried on in the industry. And then I looked for my opportunities. I ended up, I used to go to the nightclubs first when I was 18, 19. I used to get rejected from nightclubs just like anybody. You know, you always, you know, those butterflies you have just before you get to the door and the oh, yeah. security guy's looking at you, you think, oh my God, do I look old enough? Oh my God, am I dressed <laughs> smart enough? You know, when you're a kid, you have that problem. So I yeah. got rejected from the club I eventually bought. Oh. <laughs> so the same club I used to get knocked back from, I ended up buying. Oh. So anyway, it was it was a really cool club and everybody used to go to it. And I got friendly with the, the managers and the PR team there. And the, G, the GM at that time took a liking to me. We got on and the club started going down. And back in the day, urban music, hip hop and R&B was not commercial music back in, the, in my in my day and age, it was a taboo. Yeah. So they, they didn't give you a Friday or Saturday night. It was impossible. You'd, oh. you'd get like a, the odd bank holiday Sunday, there'll be an R&B gig or a hip hop gig. And that's how it was. But the opportunity arose, the management took a liking to me and it gave me some dates. They said, Bali, how about you do some urban stuff for us? I did some urban stuff for them. They loved it. 
and then my relationship built and then the club started doing bad the club didn't start you know it started declining like any club it has its lifespan yeah and then they they offered me a regular friday night and those days it was unheard of uh, an urban night getting a friday or a saturday it was just it was it was white nights basically it was corporate <laughs> that's the bottom line um, not corporate but you know it was mainstream pop so yeah. I, I got the opportunity of doing a Friday night. First Friday, it was okay. It wasn't great. I was like, oh my God, is this going to work? Yeah. Have I just spent all my money um, on this event? And at the same time, as I was doing my Friday, I, I was still working and I was still doing markets, flea markets again. So I did the Friday night. It wasn't great. The second Friday I did blew up. Everybody came. Everybody heard about the first Friday. The music was good. Everybody heard about it. It was packed. And it became like one of the iconic nights in my city. It's a small town called Leicester. Yeah. The only way you know it is most by the football team. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you football. So I started creating this buzz in the urban industry, the hip hop, R&B industry. I dropped a little bit of Indian music in there as well, a bit of Bangra, but it was mainly urban music. So... This is the only night the club was successful. It was packed. Shit. So I I, I, I don't know if, if you guys know of a guy called Tim Westwood. He's a Radio 1 DJ. No. Big. It was big back in the day. He was like the, the godfather of hip hop. It was Tim Westwood. Wow. Right? So I booked him. Right. I booked him for one of my nights. He came and his security guard was cool with me. And we started, me and the security guard started talking, his bodyguard, we started talking. So I listen, if I ever have anybody from the US come down, because they can't perform, they can't go out in London, you know, because of their contracts, do you mm. mind if I bring them to Leicester? I'm like, who the hell's going to want to come <laughs> to Leicester? And I was thinking, what kind of artist is he talking about? Anyway, that's what he said. I mean, they're more than welcome on my Friday night. A couple of weeks later, he gives me a call. Right. So I want to put this in context, because if I say the name, you guys won't respond the same. So let's put it this way. He basically said to me, the weekend, the weekend <laughs> wants to come to Leicester to come party because he's performing in a huge festival like Glastonbury. Yeah. Yep. But he wants to come to yeah. Leicester to come party. So I'm there scratching my head thinking, that's what I'm putting in context because yeah, the yeah. person who he was coming was Cisco. Yeah. Uh, this is, I mean, you guys might not even know Cisco. I'm on about Thong Song. Yeah. Yeah. Drew Hill. So it was a huge, at that time, Cisco was basically closing party in the park for Destiny's Child. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. That's how big he was. You That's know, Cisco crazy. was huge. Drew Hill was massive. Right. So it was party in the park, Radio One. So he couldn't go to any nightclub in London. So Cisco drove down to Leicester. We had this crazy after party. I did some crazy things. He loved it. Every celebrity started finding out about Leicester. So Sean Paul, yeah. uh, Truth Hurts, all these artists started coming to Leicester to do these after parties. And my no name way. got out there. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. <laughs> so then all of a sudden, the night started, the club, as a group, it was called Punana, right? Started going into, into receivership. But the owner 
approached me and said, do you want to buy the Leicester club? I'm thinking, okay, he's going to want, you know, some big money. Big money, yeah. I have around, I have around 40,000, I didn't have even that. I have around 15,000 bucks in savings, right? How am I going to buy a club which he's going to want 200,000, you know, dollars for? Because mm. yeah. he wants to sell. So anyway, I get on the phone with him and I said, I'll give you 100,000. He goes, the sound system alone is worth $150,000. The only reason... Sorry, guys. Are you there? Yeah. Sorry. The only only reason I'm giving you the club is because the business is going into receivership. This club's worth a million dollars, a million euro, you know, a million pounds. Mm. So you're being clever with me. I'm thinking I'm being clever with you. I haven't even got 150,000 pounds to give you. (laughs) You're throwing yourself in the deep end. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, of course. That's the only way you, you know, succeed in business. You have yeah. to, you know, yeah. if, if you're comfortable, yep, you're not thinking big enough. Mm. If it scares you, you're thinking big enough. So you say so yes anyway, first and work it out later. That's the, that's the goal. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, he agrees. I ended up going into contract, ended, uh, ended up giving him 15,000 pounds cash. And I said, we'll work the, you know, that's my deposit. We'll work the rest out when the contract's done. So anyway, we do the contract. He goes into loads of other litigation with his businesses. Yeah, leaves me alone for six months. So within six months, I find the money for the refurb because all the club needed was a refurb. He needed a Jenny Jones. Mm, so yeah. we did a refurb. I basically paid the guy back with his own money. <laughs> so I did the refurb, got the club open, and it was a huge success. It was the number one nightclub in the, in the city. I basically made his money back within a month. Wow. Paid him back. But at the same time, as I was still doing this, I didn't stop working. So I was still doing my Friday nights. Yep. I was still getting in my... So I used to do the Friday night, right? Finished at three o'clock in the morning. Used to get in my little van. Yep. Drive to London. Yep. Which is like two hours away from me. Set, Not sleep. Just go set up my flea market. Do the market all day. Sell my jumpers. Right? That's what I was selling at the time. All right. Um, so what I was actually doing, it's, it's a brand, it's a, it was a very popular brand in the UK. I can't say the name. So what I was doing was I was buying nice jumpers and putting the label in and cutting the label and acting like they were rejects from that brand. So I used to fly out these jumpers. It was great uh, until I got caught by trading standards. <laughs> I can say it now. It's over. So, anyway, so I was doing that in between to make the revenue to, to basically support the refurb in the club. So anyway, I did that. Club was a huge success. The word in my, you know, I, I started doing concerts off the back of the nightclub. At the same time, you remember the song Mundiato Bachke, Punjabi MC and Jay-Z. Mm. It was, it's a big banger track. That as soon as it goes off in the club, everybody knows it. Yeah. Mm. Right? Anyway, Jay-Z did this collaboration. I started managing the producers who produced the song. We started getting into different circles. Um, they springboarded me at the same time I springboarded them. We got another, I got another random phone call saying, Bali, these people know about your club. They know about what you're doing. We believe you. And I started doing concerts. So I did the first ever, you know, Sean Paul. Yeah. Mm. I did Sean Paul's first ever European tour, UK tour. Bullshit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was when he was, when he blew up with Blue Cantrell, right? Um, wow. So I did the first ever tour. 
So these, this American company called me up to London saying, can we sponsor the event? I did not know anything about this industry, as in like sponsorship and so on. <laughs> so this American company, I go into this boardroom in this fancy hotel. I'm this kid from Leicester, right? I don't even know how to speak properly. He's working you know, 23 I'm, hours a day. You know, because I'm hip hop R&B. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sometimes, yeah. So anyway, going to this big boardroom, they've got this massive penthouse in the Grosvenor House in central London, Park Lane. And I'm like, okay, we'll do a deal. So he does a deal with me, this, you know, funny guy from Sweden, you know, larger than life. So I go back to Leicester with 10,000, you know, 10,000 pounds worth of sponsorship. I didn't even know, you know, how it worked. Mm. So what we did was I had a, at that time I started my little PR team because I needed a PR team for the club. Mm. So my PR team did a marketing campaign for this gaming device, which was called Gizmondo. Yep. And we did a really good job and we did the, it's all opportunity. Mm. We get a phone call from MTV, right? Saying, could you guys do the opening party with Sean Paul yet for the MTV awards? <laughs> so we, we became the official pre-party concert for the MTV awards. All what? of a sudden we, we're in over, in over our heads. Concert happens. Justin Timberlake turns up, Pharrell turns up, <laughs> Black Eyed Peas turn up. No way. Just turns up randomly at our pre-party. Oh, shit. I'm like, wow. Then they invite us to the pre-parties and we walk into the MTV Awards and um, I'm chaperoning Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas because they're, they're, Black Eyed Peas were warming up for Christina Aguilera at that time. Yeah. yeah? But wow. the song had blown up. And it, they were even bigger than Christina Aguilera, but obviously, obviously they were, sorry guys, yeah. obviously they were on tour. So anyway, yeah. we've become this big phenomenon. We go back, present what we did to the gaming company. They're blown away. They didn't think they were going to get this exposure. They said, how about you coming to talk to us and telling us a little bit more about your business and what you have? We did a presentation, which was terrible. Like, cringe when i think about it now <laughs> but obviously you know you evolve as a business yeah. they loved it and they said we'll give you half a million pounds in equity in our business it was a pink sheet company i didn't know anything about stocks and shares i just knew the stock was worth three cents at the time mm. so i said why not let's do it i didn't want to be in the industry i was in because the industry i was in it was very how can i say it was very it was it was hood, yeah. right? A, a couple of weeks before, one of my best, one of my good friends got stabbed to death in my own nightclub. You're kidding! And wow! Yeah, so um, he was a second. He was a second best bare knuckle fighter, gypsy knuckle fighter, in England. Yeah, um, and I just thought to myself, I'm standing in the pool of blood right now. Next time, I could be lying in it. Yeah. I went. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be here anymore. This opportunity opportunity came and I said, you know what, let's do it. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. It was a corporate environment, but I adapted. Yeah. They used to call me the urban turban. In the, <laughs> the urban <laughs> turban. Go, the urban turban is going to do this presentation. I'm on about Merrill Lynch, big, big corporates. Yeah, I was doing massive. presentations to, to how we were covering the urban section. So I'm going to cut this short. I became the global operations man director for the company. Yeah. Wow. 
Wow. We started at a three cent share. I'm going to give you one more story on how I took, I helped take a three cent share to a very, very large number. So we had a gaming console. It, it ran off a Microsoft platform. But the thing with the platform was it was just a chip that we bought off Microsoft. We went a Microsoft partner, partner, per se. Right. Microsoft weren't involved in the, in the gaming console. You know the PSP, yep. right, back in the day. So yep. This was a Microsoft PSP. Yep, but it was just a Microsoft chip we were using. So it wasn't a partner with Microsoft per se. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, so when you have a gaming console, you need content. So any developer like Ubisoft, Rockstar Studios, anybody like that wants 150,000 de devices in the market before they start developing for you. And we didn't even have the game that we didn't even have the console completely developed. Yeah. So yeah. we were stuck. We were getting things like Hangman, Tetris, like all these really, really weak, you know, titles. Mm. So anyway, they sent me to an E3, which is the biggest gaming conference, um, technology yeah. conference in the world in LA. But the director of marketing was a guy called Patrick, right? He was a Swedish guy and his dog was called Adolf. I'm sure that can say everything for you yeah. guys. <laughs> so he goes into my CEO and goes, Bali's not the right face right to, to take to la with us he's got a turban he looks like a terrorist he, you know he looks Jesus. like the taliban 9 11 uh, you know a couple of years so it was very very in the u.s eye and the turban wasn't you know even if we're not muslim or even if we're not a part of that thing sikhs unfortunately get stigmatized i'm sure you've seen the, yeah. the attacks that happen mm. so he had his point and you know he was looking after a brand my ceo calls me into the office and says he, he was hilarious, my CEO. It was like, he says that you can't go to E3 because you look like a terrorist and starts laughing. He's like, bullshit. Bali's going to E3. He's one of the key members of the team. But Bali, he has got a point. So keep yourself in the shadows yeah. at this right. conference. So the way it used to work is you used to set up these amazing stands, break dancers, very urban, very cool and funky. I mean, a friend of mine used to run these stands and we used to attract a lot of people and we used to, you know, bring in the developer sponsors and so on. Yeah. So I'm at E3. Now, did I take a back, back seat? What do you think, guys? No. Hell no. <laughs> no way. I don't know how to. <laughs> so uh, it's just not in my DNA. So anyway, I was there. And in LA, there's not many Indians. Never mind seats with turbans, right? So I'm there on the stand. I see another Sikh with a turban bigger than mine. I'm like, oh, what's this dude doing here? He looks at me like, yo, what's this dude doing uh, here? We walk up to each other and say, hey, how are you, buddy? And anyway, he starts talking to me. He's like, oh, and I, I just present the, you know, the gaming device to him. Mm. And I told him it works on Microsoft platform, blah, blah, blah. He goes, interesting. Maybe I can give you some games. I was like, yes, here comes Hangman 3. <laughs> you know. I didn't think he was a big developer or anybody important because yeah. I just spoke to the guy because we connected through, you know, our religion and, you know, the way we looked. He passes me his card. He's the managing director of Microsoft Japan. You're kidding. No way. Yeah. Two weeks later, Life. I go to Seattle, head office, talk to them. We present it with my team. Microsoft signs a deal with us, a three gaming deal, including Halo. <laughs> Yep, for our platform. You're kidding. So, so like I said, 
I owe a lot to my the way I look. Because every time I've had an opportunity, it's because of the way I look. Yeah. Um, so I'm very proud of my national my nationality. When somebody asks me who I am, where I'm from, I'm from India. Yeah. Because I believe I'm Indian. Because my mum's Indian, my dad's Indian. If mm. I was born in Japan, it wouldn't make me Japanese, would it? No. I'd still be an Indian. Yeah. So that's yeah. why the reason I, I keep my nationality. Um, and I, I'm very proud of being Indian. So anyway, the share price at that time was $2. From $2, it went to $32 overnight. You're kidding. You got in at three cents. Yeah. Wow. So I become this, you know, multimillionaire. This is like 25, 20 years ago, guys. It's a yeah. long time ago. Mm. What I'm age were you when this was happening? I was like 20, 26, 27. Far out my wow. age. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it was all happening so fast. And then all of a sudden now I'm worth 32 million. Right? Deserve I, though. I can leverage. I can, leverage, I can yeah. buy, buy a mansion. I can do this. I can buy this. Anyway, this at that time, we had some problems in the company. I was on a restricted stock. We moved to LA. We started another episode. It went wrong. I went home with $3,000. That's it. Everything gone. Mansion in Bel Air Crest. What? Phantoms, Maybachs, back in the day, right? 20 years ago. McLaren, um, um, Enzo. We had two Enzos, a black Enzo and a red Enzo. Yep, that we used to use as everyday cars. SLR. Um, the Phantom had 27-inch alloys. On it. Anyway. <laughs> So Holy shit. <laughs> it goes wrong. I come home. Uh, I try a couple of other business ventures. I land on my I land on my ass. Um, I come back from India from another venture. I kind of reality hit me and I went to yeah. myself. I need to keep the lights on. I need to support my family, my kids. Um, I need to get back down to earth. So I became a security guard. So I that would have been uh, fucking to hard. pay the bills. Wow. Because I, I I didn't want to, you know, support rely on my parents anymore. So I wanted to do something, you know, because I had enough, you know. Mm. After failure and so on, I, I didn't lose my drive, don't get me wrong, but yeah. I needed to keep the lights on. That was my mm. focus. Right. So I became a security guard for two years. Right? And anything I do, I try my best. And I was quite good at it. Um, I did. I didn't look. I don't look the way. I, I didn't look the way I do now. I look completely different. <laughs> yeah, I was a bit of a. Um, yeah. So, I, I became a security guard, and I was still trying to be an entrepreneur at the same time, and make people believe in me. Mm. You know, and what yeah. it was, I, these nightclub owners. I try to talk to the owners. I'm like, yo, I, I've done this. I've done this. I can really help you with your marketing, branding. And they're like, dude, if you're, if you're that good, why you have this? Why you, you know, in their mind, they wouldn't say it to my face, but yeah, if it's, if it's, why are you still, why, why are you a doorman? Mm. If you've really done all of this, nobody would believe me. So at the same time, I'm trying to hustle and get a random call from uh, Marbella, right? Some guy calls me, goes, Bali, I believe you know 50 Cent and you know P. Diddy. Can you book them for us for a, a party in Marbella? I said, no, I can't. I'm 50 Cent's not here. P. Diddy's not here. But Pharrell Williams is here. This was NERD. So yeah. NERD 
I basically took NERD to Spain, to Marbella, to do their first ever gig. So we did a gig. I make friends with the owner of the hotel I stayed in. He saw what I did and we, we gelled. I became the marketing director of that hotel. And that's how I ended up in Spain. Oh, so, and that's how Richlist formed. Yeah. So one of my VIP clients backed me to do a party in London. I did a party in London, Richlist blew up. I made a substantial amount of money. I started, I moved to Dubai. I had an opportunity in Dubai and that's how we formed Richlist. I've got to pause a second. Yeah, yeah. Sorry guys, one second. That's all right. Okay, I'll try to. Okay, cool. I'll try to. Okay, cool. So I'm going to have to wrap it up as well, guys. So, um, yeah. because I've got another call. So that's how I, my career started again. People started believing in me. And I started doing parties in Dubai. I started doing these crazy island parties in Dubai. Yeah. These yacht parties in Dubai. Everybody knew me. We're the biggest partying brand in the Middle East. Wow. So. So, you know, I used to take people to, we used to take like 15 yachts to a private island. All of us used to cruise, partying to the island, anchor, go on to the island, another massive pool party, and then come back to the sunset to do these parties. Was that those $20 million I events? I think I read that on that, eh? We've done some serious yeah. events, private <laughs> events. So, I can't mention names. Yeah. So, anyway, we did these parties. I got an opportunity at Formula One. I was still rough around the edges. I'm still rough around the edges because we can always better ourselves, mm. you know? Um, mm. And sometimes you have to take yourself out of your comfort zone. You have your friends, don't get me wrong, and you have fun with them. But if you want to evolve, you have to, turn, you have to go into other circles where you're not comfortable and you don't fit in and you fit in because that's the only way you develop yourself and your business and your brand as a person. Yeah. So anyway, this I I I had I had two tables, three tables in this nightclub at the Formula One that was over the track. I they gave me three tables as a like a, a promoter. Wow. Yeah. So one second, sorry. Yeah. As a promoter. From three tables, I sold out the VIP. So I ended up controlling the whole VIP, right? That was, which was like 25 tables. Yeah. The, ho the, the hotel GM was a very smart old gentleman, very smart, very but funky, you know, pink shirts. And he saw me and he was, he was cool with me. And the following year, he, he called me and he goes, hey, Bali, I saw what you did at the Formula One. The, the club that you were with isn't doing it this year. Would you like to do it yourself? I was like, what? <laughs> you know, and I was like, Okay, you know, again, out of my league. I go meet the hotel and this guy, um, Mr. Humphreys was his name. Yeah. He was the director of Viceroy Hotels um, in the Middle East. He believed in me. He gave me this venue and I did the event. It was a huge success. I, I booked Tyrese yeah. from wow. Fast and Furious. He, was a sing he sings as well. Yeah. So Tyrese came, performed. A load of other celebrity came, um, came along as well. It did really well. And from those two tables, yep, now I control, we control as a company, uh, most probably around 80% of the whole entertainment wow. that happens in the official Formula Hotel in Abu Dhabi. We have, wow. we promote 80% now. 
and also we prom- prom- we um, do all the on-ground activation for MoneyGram. Yeah. Um, for the World Cup cricket, we also do all the activations for Aramco, which is one of the biggest companies in the world for Formula One in all the shopping malls. So we do a lot of things. We consult for governments as well. We present projects to governments, and we basically show them how to attract other nations to their countries and their capitals. So we've grown, we've evolved. My wife played a big part in what I've done. Yeah, I met her six years ago and she turned my life around. She showed me how to be a father, be a son to my parents. Yeah. Um, the first year we met, we were dating. My parents had never been to Spain in, in six years of me being there or four years of me being there. She bought my parents three times the first year we were together. You know, she yeah. really showed me what my priority should be in life. And yeah. she turned me around, it was a 360. And that's why I am the person I am today because she showed me life a lot more than jumping on tables, yeah. looking like a baller Popping and bottles. so on. But that's my story and that's where we are now. Yeah. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Yeah. So that's the main focus. You've got an event coming up. Yes. We host the Abu Dhabi race weekend. And we have the Royal Terrace, um, which has around 150 tables. We have around 3,000 to 4,000 people come through our area. Um, And it's a great event. We've been doing it for, we've been at the Abu Dhabi race weekend for eight years now. Wow. So is going from strength to strength. And um, if you guys ever want to come join us, you're more than welcome. Mate, I'd love that. Yeah, I think course, I saw... Man. We'd love to. Was it Alec Monopoly? Is he coming to the DJ and paint on stage? Yeah, Alec Monopoly, he's, he's going to be DJing at our official after party and creating a, a unique piece of art that at the same time. Crazy, wow. man. And you just never know who's going to turn up to our events. Yeah. Last time, the weekend turned up uh, with Bella Hadid, French Montana, <laughs> just to hang out. You're kidding. So you just don't know who's going to turn up. Yeah, That's crazy. Wow. I feel like all these opportunities were created for you because of how hard you actually work. I feel like you've never given up, which is why this has been presented to you time no. and time again. Yeah, you know, I, I believe in God. Yeah. Same. And I believe there's a lot more, many more people in this world that are a lot more talented than me. Yep. And the things I've been through and the challenges I've faced it's not me. Yeah. There's people that are three or four degrees, right? And they still are in a in a rut. There's people that you know are born into wealth and they're failed. Yep. I've been in situations where I could have lost my life, mm. literally. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm lucky because something's happened and I've survived. I've been on airplanes where the, we've had to do crash landings. You're kidding. You know, I, I was on a flight to LA. <laughs> I, I was on a flight to, um, from, no, I was on a flight to Vegas from the UK. Plane takes off. They can't put the landing gear back into the, into the, um, the, the bottom of the plane. Yeah. So they're saying one of the wheels are jammed. We're going to have to do an emergency landing. Wow. So we landed on two, two wheels. The, the airplane was going crazy. People were crying. It was, you had to dump the fuel over, over the sea to do the crash landing, right? So everybody's going crazy. I was quite calm. I said one thing to myself. I went, I, I, I closed my eyes, right? 
And I said, you've given me an amazing life. I've lived. Yeah. I can't even ask for another day of you, but I will ask for one thing. And I'm not joking. This is the truth. I said, just make it quick. <laughs> God, make it quick. You know, I'm not going to ask me. Wow. Yeah, it, it was on the news, everything, you know, this crash landing. But like I said, there's some other situations I can't even mention mm. on um, on this interview yeah. where I've been in, in in the nightlife situations. Yeah. But I've always be believed in putting energy out into this universe. And every day I try to do some good. Mm. Maybe just opening a door. Yep. Taking a goodie bag when I'm in a restaurant. Mm. And when I walk home, give it to the security guard and say, yo, you know, it's here. Eat it, bro. I don't want it to go to waste. Simple things can change your world and other people's. You know, putting a smile on somebody's face doesn't cost you anything. So I believe uh, if we do things like this as human beings and just pass it on, as they say, yeah, you will see your life change. Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about others. And somebody else will think about you. Mm. That's That's my philosophy in life. I'm at a stage in my life where I can't ask for anything else. I'm stable. I'm lucky. Now, I need to know the reason why I'm on this planet. Mm. Because it's not to live an amazing life. I remember I was going to meet some celebrities. This was in Marbella three months ago. Yeah. And it was a bit of a life-changing moment for me. So I'm driving in my nice car to the Punta Romana, which is a beautiful hotel. And I'm going to meet these celebrities. And I was just thinking, I'm so blessed. Beautiful day, beautiful car, going to meet these celebrities. I'm living a dream. But then I stopped for a minute and said, this cannot be the reason I'm here. Mm. I've, mm. I've been put on this planet for a reason. And I've got to do something that actually makes a difference. Yeah. So I, it might, I might have already done it because we, we're all on this planet for a reason. I might have just opened a door or given somebody a seat. Yep. And change the way history would take place. Mm. I might just be a small little puzzle, you know, just for a door, give somebody a chair. Oh, you can take this space. You can go first in a supermarket queue, something silly. But that person could change humanity. Literally. So that's my whole, that's my whole direction now in my life is to try to do more for other people. My wife's a beautiful person. And I say this because I know the things she does. Mm. For her birthday, she wasn't thinking about what I'm doing. She, she went to, um, a couple of friends have a, a charity called Harmony House, yeah. right? I was out doing something and she came, I came home and she goes, for my birthday, I want to adopt a child. I'm like, <laughs> amazing, you know? And she adopted a child. She goes, look, I've got, you know, I've done it. I hope you don't mind. Yeah. And I was like, oh, sorry. Yeah. And my wife was saying to me, I've adopted a child. And she goes, hope you don't mind. I'm like, amazing, let's adopt more. You know, if we can help somebody, if you can change something that costs you pennies, yep, in the long term, yep, do it. Do some good. If it's even going to a food bank, giving food to somebody, you know, clothing, the silliest things can make a difference. Even if it's running a tap while you're brushing your teeth and closing the tap while you brush your teeth, you're saving the natural resources on this planet. You know, when we keep the lights on, mm. yep, my wife right. turns them off because we're we're killing the place we live. Yeah. And if we want a home for our children, we need to start thinking and be more conscious about what we do to our planet. 
So that's mm. my whole, that's my whole direction now. And the way I want to move forward in my life, helping others and trying to change people's mindsets. It's key for all of us. And yeah. it's key for humanity for us to turn around and do these little things. They're small things. Like I'm, 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 I've been told I can't have a shower for more than two minutes. Mm. But just imagine how much water I'm going to save for the rest of my mm. life. Yeah. Because it's water I don't yeah. really need. Because I'm just there, you know, having scrubbing all this water. Now. <laughs> I need it. Things yeah. that we don't need. You know, when we go to the supermarket, mm. um, we're normal people. And there's four items, right? My wife's got two hands. I've got two hands. We're carrying the items home. We're not going to get a carrier bag. Mm. It's stupid, mm. right? It's not nothing major. It's a little things. Everything, everything, somebody starts. One person starts, it can make a difference. People say one person can't make a difference. One thing can't make a difference. Have you ever slept in a room with a mosquito? Mm. Yeah, 100%. You Have you mosquito. ever slept in a room with one mosquito? Yeah. Does he destroy your world? One person, you see, one thing can destroy your world. Yeah. So one person can make a change. Yeah, it you all understand? adds up. It all adds up. So don't think. You can't change the world. You can. One person, Nelson Mandela was one person. Mm. I'm going a bit extra here, but it's true. Mm. Don't think you're just, you're just, you're just John. Yeah. You're just Paul. You're just nobody. You're just a normal guy who can't make a difference. You can. Nelson Mandela was a normal person. You know, people that have changed history and changed the course of history have always been normal people. I'll give you a prime example. The British government, right? And the British government got blamed for a lot of things and a lot of carnage in this world. But it was actually an office with 50, 25 people that controlled India. It was a corporation. It wasn't the British army. It was, it was mercenaries. They hired an army to control India. So it wasn't actually the hierarchy. It wasn't the queen that was doing it. It was actually a corporation mm. that controlled India for all those years. So, like I said, it's only one person, a kid who went to a, a meeting in a square. Yeah, they had enough of the, the hierarchy. And it was just a meeting in a square, no violence, no nothing. The, again, the office of the British Empire, yeah, that got blamed for it, but it wasn't the British Empire. It was this office, right? Yeah. Um, basically gave the orders to let go machine gun fire. It killed his parents, Jeez. right? Wow. It killed his parents. That guy, his name was Udham Singh. He revenged his parents' death and all the people that were martyred there by going into the House of, House of Parliament. And I don't condone, you know, I don't, um, con, you know, I don't support violence. Mm -hmm. But of course. The, his actions, yep, there was a, a lord that gave that order. But in his heart, he goes, that person who gave that order that killed those innocent people will pay for the death of those people. He went into, he, the guy was doing a speech in the House of Commons, right? He went to the House of Commons with a gun in his book and he shot that man dead. The, wow. the hierarchy, the government was shook that this guy from India, a normal guy, traveled all the way to the Houses of Parliament and shook the whole hierarchy at that time mm. the whole dictatorship that was when the british government yep I'm, one second i'm going to get the name one second because yep, yep. i don't want to say british government <laughs> one second <laughs> 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 
One second. No, you're right. He is a wicked person, Shane. Such an inspiration. Man, this is the most inspiring chat of my entire life. Holy shit. Okay, this is a really good book to read, guys. Yeah. This, the people that were in charge of India, the control of India, was, they were called the East India Company. Yeah. It was a company. It was a company controlling the whole of a country. It didn't have anything to do with politics. It was a corporation. And think about it, guys. We're in the same position now. We think governments run our countries for Mm. us. They don't. Corporations run our countries for us. The people that are funding those um, those, those governments are the people that call the shots. And this is a prime example. It's worth reading because history always repeats itself. Yeah. And right now, history is repeating itself. I don't want to get political. I don't want to say anything about anything that's happening. But use your brains. Yeah. Common sense in this world is not common. So... You need to make it common by educating yourselves. But guys, that's my history. That's what I've done in the past. Right. I'm very lucky to be where I am today. I hope this inspires people or gives people a sense of direction. Don't ever give up because you won't win yeah. if you give up. Only you can let yourself down, nobody else. So that's my, they're my words. I hope you like what I said. Mate, you're an inspiring person. And I hope it inspires some Thank you so much. That was insane. That has been the the most, like, just being able to sit here on the other side of the world and talk to you and experience that whole conversation is hands down one of the most amazing experiences I've had in my entire life. That is just so insane. You've moved us. You've moved us. You definitely have. What I want. What I want to yeah, ask. Thank you. One last thing, Bally, before you leave us. What's one piece of advice you want to leave the listeners with? One piece of advice. Yeah. My biggest, what I would say, my biggest piece of advice to anybody, what you submit out to this world is what you get back. So if you want to be successful, submit the right energy. Yep. And the energy will times by a hundred and it will come back to you. Do good for others. Stop thinking about yourself. And once you do good for others, the universe will take care of you. And that's a fact. That's that's my policy yeah. and it's worked for me. It might not work for you, but it doesn't really matter if it doesn't work for you and you don't become successful. You've done something in this world mm. that's done something good. So that's my advice to anybody out there. You're an amazing person. I love mate. it. Oh, I right. love every single part of it. This is amazing. I can't wait for everybody to listen to Literally. this. I hope it uh, people. That's what I want to do. Definitely, man. And when, when we come us. to Abu Dhabi, we'll have to uh, have to listen to the rest of those stories that you can't tell. Yeah. Let me know if you guys want to Where are you guys based? We're in Australia. Uh, we're Australia. Okay. Are you, are you guys in lockdown or you're open? No, no, or? we're out. We're uh, out of lockdown. Travel? Yeah. Borders are about to open for us. You're around the corner, guys. You're more than welcome to come. You'll come as my guests. You're kidding. You'll have to get your own accommodation, uh, flights and so on. Yeah. But for the... The hospitality side of things, you can come as my guest. No problem at all. Done. Done. You're a legend. Right, let me know if you let me know if you want to come. Yep. 